All right, another page we turn today on this matter of hope. Here's, here's the topic, here's the title. Just hope you'll jot some of these things down. But I really do pray, my, my prayer coming into these times is that there at least be some of what we talk about that is portable. You don't need to have it written down as much as it's just working in your heart. Now may the God of hope, that's our key verse, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the power behind the generating of hope in the believer's heart. It is one of the ways that we know that God is working inside us, that he's present with us, that he has his hand on our lives. It's that when it doesn't make sense, when it um, doesn't even feel right, some way or another, there is, there is hope working inside of us. Hope being a wish, a desire, plus an expectation that some way, somehow, God's going to do it. It's going to happen. That which I've been wishing for, that which I've been dreaming about, longing for, that has come from him to my heart, that's matched with an expectation that one day it's going to happen. That's hope. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope, overflow with hope, effervesce in hope, radiate hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't um, need any help to not have hope. One of the signs that God is helping us is when he's filling us with hope. Today, we'll look at this, this slice, this page of hope. Hope for a life with impact. Hope for a life with impact or Living to make a difference. Living to make a difference. I, I believe it's a safe assumption in this, in this esteemed gathering group here today and those who are tuned in by various other means to be a part of the service that, that you're, you have a desire working inside you, that you want to impact people for good. You, you, you want to be, we use the word, a blessing. I want to be a blessing, but the word impact carries some force with it. In fact, impact really is a, a term that describes a result, a result. There's something called, and you guys would know about this, an impact driver, and it's a, it's a tool, and it, it, uh, you can pick it up and squeeze the trigger on that thing, and, and it will it will, it will fasten a nut onto a bolt. It'll drive a, it'll drive a, a screw into a piece of wood. It'll, it, it, it has impact. It, it, it has impact because of the force that is causing the torque to be generated and the, the shaft to turn and the screw to enter the piece of wood. It, it's, it has impact because of the force, because of the power. Impact is a result. Impact is a result. If my life is going to have impact, it means that my life will cause there to be some result in your life or your life in my life. A life with impact is the result of the strength of that life. 
Let me say that again. A life with impact is the result of the strength of that life. So what kind of impact do you want to have? Well, then know that you'll need to gain strength in that very area if you're wanting to have impact in that way. We, we sometimes use the term impact and we only think of it in, in terms of physical strength. Um, you know, uh, muscles or, or volume or brute force. But there's other types of, of impact. There, is, there are other types of strength, not just physical. Emotional strength that results in impact. The emotion of meanness as opposed to kindness. The emotion of hate the emotion of love, the emotion of revenge, and the emotion of mercy. Aren't you glad that you have been influenced and impacted, and I certainly have over the years, folks who had a strong kind of mercy that worked in their hearts toward me or toward you, that there was a strong kind of kindness that caused them to do something for you that you, you didn't deserve and you don't even know why they did it, but you were impacted, weren't you? You were impacted by the force of that kindness, by the strength of that love. Just as much as we've been impacted by the strength of, of meanness or criticism or cruelty even, but it doesn't have to be the dark side. It's it's that wonderful bright side, that full of light side, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, for God is love. God loved the world, and therefore he gave his only son, Jesus. The impact of a life comes from the strength that is working in that life. So in... What, what, what kind of impact does God have planned for you? What kind of impact does God have planned for you? I want to suggest to you that the answer is very simple. The answer is found in the answer to this question. In what areas is God making you strong? Or in what areas of your life has God made you strong? It will be down the corridor of the strengths in your life that you will have the greatest impact upon people. Now, some of those strengths can come as a result of things that have happened to us, and that can be they can be painful things, they can be amazingly good things. That they can be emotions that we spoke of a while ago. You 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 talk about you talk to a to a mother about um, what is what is strong in her life. What what works strongly in her life, and she might be quick to say to you that which is strong in me is my love for my babies, my love for my children. It it can be a loyalty of sorts. It can be it can be um, a, a sense of protection. Um, 
but down, down the corridor of that which is strong in you for good or for ill will be the ways in which you impact people. Now, folks, the good news is that when Jesus Christ comes into our hearts, when we receive him as our Savior and Lord, the old things have passed away and new things have come. Now, we may have been known as a strong-willed, mean person, but the Lord Jesus Christ coming inside your life to make all things new can now make you a strong and daring, kind person and loving person. It doesn't mean that you lose strength. It just means that the strength is shifted. The strength is adjusted. The strength is now under the control of the Spirit of God. And things are coming out of your life in strong fashion and impact being made upon people. But it is for good now, and it is for life now, and it is for hope in a future. I want you to find this little passage of Scripture with me. This is a section in Acts chapter 3, and then Acts chapter 4 is where I want to read several of these verses. But Peter and John two of the original 12. After Jesus has died and he's been resurrected and the Holy Spirit has been poured out now upon the church and folks are operating in a power with an impact that they have never known before in all of their lives. It was exactly what Jesus said would happen, that the Father is going to give to you through me the promise of the Spirit being poured out. And on the day of Pentecost, that happened. And following that time, you know, Simon Peter, who, was, who, who could enter the room mouth first and get himself in trouble because he talked too much and was, was prone to back out of a situation when he got squeezed. Now, all of a sudden, his words are very metered. His words are very specific. His words are very filled with truth and right, and he's bold as a lion. And they walk up. He and John are on their way up to the temple to, to, um, to be in the temple for a time of worship. And the scripture records that there was a, there was a man there who was, had been lame from his mother's womb. He had been carried along, and he was just set there to beg. Peter and John walked up to him. Remember that story? And the man began to beg money from them, help from them. And, and Peter said, silver and gold, we don't have any of but what I do have in the name of Jesus, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, you get up and walk. And the scripture records that that man got up off of his pallet and he began to be walking and leaping and praising God. You remember that story? Oh, now you got to remember who that was. That was old Simon Peter talking. That, that was the guy who was the coward. That was the guy who said, I don't even know Jesus. That was the one who would get himself in trouble for saying things at the wrong times and places, but now there's a different kind of strength inside him, a different kind of authority. Well, there's such a commotion made by that blind or that, that lame man getting made well that, that a crowd gathers and they start trying to find out what is it, how did this happen? Because he was a well-known figure of those who would be going up to the temple. He was regularly there, and now he's walking and leaping and praising God and saying, Jesus Christ healed me. A crowd gathers and and Peter begins to preach again, and he begins to tell them, don't look to us. The power isn't from us. The power is from Jesus Christ. Well, that so upset the religious 
leadership that they had Peter and John arrested and, and for causing a commotion. And so that's all the background, Acts chapter 4, and looking at, at verse 1 with me, if you would, please. Acts 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard with the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them, Peter and John, put them in jail until the next day was already evening. Many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000 men who came to know Jesus as a result of, of that brief message, brief sermon, if you will, that, that Peter preached. All right. On the next day, verse 5, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. Now these were the same ones who were party to the punishing of Jesus, to the, to the commending of, of, of Jesus to Pilate for Jesus to be put to death. These were heavy hitters among the leadership, religious leadership of that day. Same faces. Peter and John knew that these were the ones who were responsible for having Jesus tried in the mock trials and then being sent to, to Pilate. They, they understood the players. When they had placed them in the center, when they had placed Peter and John in the center, they, these religious leaders, began to inquire, watch, by what power or in what name have you done this? Have you healed this man? Then Peter marked this. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, and which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under, under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Did he let her rip or what now? Was this a the same, same shoe size, same eye color, same height, but a, but a lion now instead of a lamb inside this silent Peter. Now, what look at verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence, or that's another word for boldness, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. They were impacted and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Now, here's, here's the good news about that. We're going to look here in a minute about a man who would come under the influence of the Holy Spirit from time to time in his life, King David. David, the author of many of the Psalms. But here we're looking at and reading the account of two men who are expressive of 
the, what is available to the whole church right now, that instead of the Holy Spirit, the generator power of God just coming on for a season and then lifting, now it is possible for you as a believer in Jesus Christ to literally and actually become the temple of the Holy Spirit on the face of the earth where God and the person of his spirit dwells. And from that place, which is your body, he is able to generate his might, his power, his strength, such that the power that God wants to bring about with, to cause impact in the lives of people can literally be happening through you. Though you be, though we be, in the eyes of the watching world, uneducated and untrained men and women. Where in our weakness, the strength of God gets seen. Oh, good gracious. The, 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 the world was shaken from, from even, and it came even to, to a political standpoint, where Rome was basically overturned and overthrown, and Rome was lost as a civilization. But the church remained. The church was strong, and it was because of the power of God. The power of God in the lives of ordinary people causing there to be impact on other people through the message of Jesus Christ and the realization that Jesus, he's not, he not a baby anymore in Mary's lap. He's not a dead man lying in a temple, lying in a tomb somewhere. He is alive. He is actual. He is real. He is where we are. And the power of his might inside us causes there to be impact upon people that we come in contact with. Hope for a life with impact is the hope of every born-again child of God understanding who you are by the work of the Spirit of Christ inside your life. Hope for a life of impact. You're going to make a difference. You can't put a light in a dark room and what's hidden in the darkness, all of a sudden, no, there's light in the room. We are exposed. The light that is in us being sent out into a, into a darkened world, sometimes that's welcomed with great applause. We, 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 it, it's like, like home is, is, is present. We're, we're, we're safe. We're, we're home because the lights are on. Others can say, I, I, don't, I, I like the darkness. I love the darkness rather than I want the light, so I don't want you. There's impact, there's impact, there's impact because of the strength in you. Now, I want to turn to what may be more of a practical application. And we're going to look back in the, in the Old Testament to a little bit of the life of David for a few minutes this morning on this matter of hope for a life with impact. The, the, you could look in, in Acts chapter 13 and I believe it's down about verse 36, and it will say, for David, Paul is, is teaching on the centrality and, the, and the, 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 the importance of Jesus, but he uses as an example, as a point of contrast, how David was unlike Jesus in that David died and he decayed. His, his body um, went back to dust, but Jesus, because he was raised from the dead, did not undergo decay. But as he's building that case, look at verse 36 in this line. For David, speaking of King David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, 
fell asleep. New Testament word for death. He fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But this line, David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, the Lord took him home. David served the purpose of God in his own generation. What a dream. What a desire. What an aspiration that we would somehow be serving the purpose of God in our own generation. Folks, let me tell you, some of you have that, that scripture just written across your forehead in the spirit because you are the only one in your family line who's, who's caring anything about serving the purpose of God in your day. You're, you're one, you're unusual, you're unique, unique as far as many around you might, might evaluate you. They don't understand you. You seem to be marching to the, to the beat of a different drummer, and, and, but, but, but there's something very strong inside you that you, you realize there is a higher calling upon your life. There's something more you're going for than what ones around you are seem to be satisfied with. Serving the purpose of God in your generation. Bless you. I, I, I want you to, especially if you have that sense that's working inside you, I, I want to be like that. I want to be found as someone who is serving the purpose of God in my generation, with my family, with my profession, with my children, with, those, with old friends, new friends, ones I'll be meeting, acquaintances, I, I want to I be serving the purpose of God in my generation. Now, that was David. That's how David was, was understood. I want you to find, kind of turn to the left, if you will, in your, in your copy of the Scripture, and I want you to look at Psalm number 37. Just hold your place there in Psalm number 37. Because as we are aware, this is, this is one of the, the last Psalms that, that David wrote. He will indicate here that he wrote this when he was an old man, not as a young man. He will say, I, was, I have been young and now I am old. And then he says, I've not seen the righteous forsaken. So we understand this is at a period in his life, a time in his life when he's able to look back, he's able to evaluate, he's able to give some sense of, of understanding to here's what was going on and here's why it happened. He was a man of great impact. He had impact not only upon those around him in his day, but, but his, his impact stretches all the way through all of these centuries to you and me this morning in this room. Yes, impactful, an impactful life. What are some things that were working in the heart of this man that caused there to be such strength inside him that there would be impact not only for those of his contemporaries, but impact for those who would read about him and read what he wrote for centuries literally to come. What the, we've said impact is a result of strength. If you want to have impact in a particular area, then prepare yourself to be strengthened in those particular areas. If, if we're wanting to know what is it that God is going to use me in what areas to have impact in, then we need to ask ourselves and be honest about it, Here's how the Lord has made me strong. Here are the places where I'm strong. Now, the, the strong can, as we said, can turn to the dark side, but it can turn to the light side. In Christ, all things become new. 
He can take the strength within us. He doesn't kill the strength within us. He just, he just transforms them. He, he, he begins to take charge of them. I, I believe when the apostle Paul says, I've fought a good fight. I've run the course. I've finished it. I believe Paul came into this world a fighter and a runner. He didn't just become that at the end of his time. And you read about him. He was, he was fighting the church, wasn't he? He, he, was, he was fighting to persecute the, the ones who were the followers of the way. Jesus had to appear to him on the road to Damascus and say, what are you doing, Paul? Why are you persecuting me? So he quit fighting Jesus. Jesus gets in charge of his life. And then he's at one town after another. He's in trouble because he feels like folks are picking a fight with him because of his stand for Christ. He was a fighter. The Lord didn't kill the fighting horse when he got saved. The Lord just changed it. He would use uh, athletic imagery in many places, throughout several places throughout his writings. He was a runner. He was a competitor. He was a fighter. And the Lord took that, baptized that in a sense with the calling of God and the power of God and transformed him and turned him and we was fighting for the right stuff instead of fighting for something that was wrong. David is in a similar fashion along those lines. David would be used to have great impact for many lives across many centuries, and it came out of the strength that was working in his heart. Now, I want to suggest to you one great strength of David, one great strength. We could list many, but I, I feel like this is central. And it was this, loyalty to his God. Loyal to his God. Samuel came and anointed him among the eight brothers. He's the eighth. He's the youngest. He's picked out the man after God's own heart. Samuel was told regarding Eliab, the oldest brother, don't look at him. He's not the one I've chosen because the Lord doesn't look. I don't look at the outer appearance. I look at the heart. When David, the youngest one, came in, evidently there was just heart all over him. Now, he was evidently a handsome young man, but he was the youngest, unproven, untested, been out taking care of the sheep. But there was something about him. And as soon as, soon as he walked in, the Lord said to Samuel, arise and anoint him. That's the one right there. And David was anointed with oil, and at the same time, for Samuel 16 will say, he, he came to be anointed with the Holy Spirit on that same day. And he went forward in the strength and energy of the Holy Spirit's empowering from that day forward. He was a teenager, more than likely a teenager. You remember the rest of that story, many of you will, where it wasn't long after that, that the Philistines one more time engaged in in battle with the Israelite armies. David's older brothers were a part of the army, so they were there getting ready to fight. David was sent by his father, Jesse, to carry some, some cheeses and some food to check on the welfare of the brothers. David shows up. The two armies are, are in array on the two sides of the hill. And out from the Philistine army steps this nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant named Goliath with an armor-bearer next to him. And he begins to, in David's hearing, David is there now, he hears this man, 
And he just begins to belch forth all of this profanity and all of this cursing and ridiculing, not just of the armies of Israel, but the God of Israel. (laughs) I think David might have been able to take it if the guy was just saying something about his brothers. But it crossed the line with this young man. And he was blaspheming his God. You look in 1 Samuel, I want to just read a bit of this. David just immediately, as soon as he hears it, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The loyalty in this young man regarding his God was striking. Now, you remember the rest of that story? He volunteers to fight. Saul, the king, says, you're just a young man. You can. But he says, I'm, I'm still. I took the lion and the bear came to me, came after my father's sheep. The God who will give me the victory over this Philistine is the same God who gave me the ability to, with my bare hands, kill the lion and take out the bear. And Saul, the king, said, all right. So he sends him on. Tried armor, didn't arm, armor wouldn't fit, didn't work. David didn't have, he didn't have anything. He didn't have anything. Can, can I say that just one more time? David didn't have anything. He didn't have a pocket knife. He was too young to be in the army, so he had no battle training. He didn't even know how to salute. He had a shepherd's bag with a few rocks, and he had that sling. Now, I've mean, just got to read this. This is Psalm, no, excuse me, first Psalm 17 and, and about uh, verse 41. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with a shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine, nine and a half feet tall of him, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was a youth and ready with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, oh no, look. There are people listening. The armies, this close enough. It wasn't this long distance stuff. They, they, were, they were close. We, we've actually been to that valley of Elah where they, in Israel where they supposed that this is where the fight was. It would have been not difficult for the armies arrayed on both sides of those hills to have heard this conversation. Somebody had to hear this conversation in order for it to be written down. Somewhere or another, there was impact from these words being made. I'm sure they were just taking bets on how long, how long it's going to take the Goliath to take the David out. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog? Come here with sticks. Then verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Now look, he's 15, 16 years old, doesn't have anything but a slingshot. And he's he's roaring that truth out of his heart. This day, he continued, 
the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David that David ran quickly in the opposite direction back to mama. No, ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag, took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. The strength that resulted in that kind of impact could be summarized in this short phrase. It was David's loyalty to God. His lo- you will not speak that way in my presence, unchallenged about my God. Now, here's something you you're those of us who want to have impact with our lives. Something we need to understand. Sometimes that kind of strength working in you will leave you all by your lonesome. There was nobody, not even a blue jay, not even a buzzard on a branch next to David when this happened. By himself. By himself. But the power of that sense of I will be loyal to my God The power of that conquered any sort of a fear, nobody's going with me. Folks, listen, when there's that kind of strength that works in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are such an incredible threat to the strongholds of darkness around you and in your family and where you work and throughout your life that Satan wants in the worst way to somehow shut you up when you are fearless, when you have no reputation to fear, when you have no threat of life or death to fear, you are owned by the passion within your heart that is the strength that will result in the impact in countless of lives. We're still here all these thousands of years later reading this story, and we want to get up on our feet, stand up in the pew if we felt like it was legal. And say, yeah, David, yeah. Where does that come from? It comes from a heart empowered with a sense of loyalty to God. You will have the greatest impact through the corridor of your greatest strength. So understand, if I aspire more strength, then I am to expect more training. I'm to expect that there'll be more opportunities for me to exercise that strength, to gain in it. 
And I'm also to understand that not everybody is going to agree with you. Not everybody is going to accept it as important as you see it. But the only reason we're reading this story is because David was consumed by that particular strength. I will be loyal to my God. Oh, no, let me say, here, here's something else. I'm not going to, we won't read the passage necessarily, but there, as David's life matures, continues, he's been anointed king of Israel. But Saul is still the king. Saul would reign for 40 years. We're not sure exactly what point in time David enters the, enters the, 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 the play here. Somewhere probably about 30 years into it, because it was at least 10 years or so. But Saul hunted David like an animal to try to neutralize the threat to his dynasty. He had understood that Samuel had said, this is the next king. And Saul didn't want it. And so he turned his forces to try to get rid of David, kill him, destroy him, through whatever means. So David goes, this is very important, because these strengths are liable to manifest themselves in different ways in different seasons of our lives. David leaves this season of the public triumph. Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands, everybody was cheering, everybody knew David's name. Goliath was taken out, and the Philistines had been defeated. But now it turns that instead of Saul applauding David, Saul turns against David, and David has to run. But still, the strength in his heart is his loyalty to his God. His loyalty to his God. Loyalty to his God in the first place demonstrated was demonstrated in David's life by courage and Goliath and fight. But in this season, there was this ability to trust in the obscure place, in the hard place, in the survival place. His loyalty to God, now catch this, his loyalty to God moved from the place of fight to flee, to hide, to just survive. He would be found in various caves and various water holes in the wilderness throughout those years, still believing that God had called him to be what he would eventually be. But out of his loyalty to God, out of the strength in his heart, at one point it was to risk everything to fight Goliath. But now it is at this place of waiting, waiting for God to do what only God could do and refusing to step out of his lane, draw his own sword or his own spear and put Saul to death. You remember those stories. On at least two occasions, amazing occasions, David had the opportunity to come up behind a Saul who was in a cave using the bathroom where all of his guys were hiding deeper in the cave. Saul was by himself, left alone, armor outside. They whispered to David, you can take him now. You can take him now. Look what God's given to you to do. 
Look at this opportunity. And David would say, even though Saul was hunting him down like an animal, was wanting to kill him, David understood that Saul had been anointed by the Lord King over Israel before Samuel anointed him, David, to be king. And he would say, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. That if God's going to deal with him, God's going to have to deal with him, but I will not do it. Do you see that? Not one-dimensional, but most multifaceted out of his loyalty to his God. At one point, it was courageous. It was fight. Now, this one was to hide and to flee while he waited. The other time that he caught up with Saul, it was in another similar setting. See if I can find it here. Yeah. David again spares Saul. It's in, a, it's in the darkness. Saul is, in the, is asleep in the middle of the camp of his armed men. Some way or another, David, you talk about a good sneak. He was a good sneak. He slipped by with his friend, his helper, Abishai, and they get up within easy striking range of Saul. While everybody's asleep. And Abishai is trying to say, here's the time. If you won't do it, I'll do it. But let's end this thing. Then David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come that he dies or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. And they snuck out, got up on a hillside a bit away from this gathered encampment of the enemy, and David begins to call out in the darkness. And he begins to rebuke the ones who were supposed to be guarding Saul to take care of him because they weren't obviously on duty. He holds up the spear. He holds up the jug of water. Saul realizes in that moment what could have happened to him for the second time. David, David leaves that setting and vanishes into obscurity one more time. And the only way David would ascend the throne was not by revolution, but on the day that Saul and his son Jonathan and other sons were fighting the Philistines on Mount Gilboa, Saul was struck down in battle, and Jonathan was struck down in battle, and the word came to David that Saul is dead. Then he understood that it wasn't his doing, it wasn't his hand. Out of loyalty to his God, he waited for his God to do what only his God had permission to do. Strength. Now, you know, here, here again, we read that strength right there. We read that expression of the strength of waiting, the strength of the ability to endure. All these centuries later, and we are amazed at the power behind that kind. Of, we are impacted by that kind of strength. The strength to wait. 
the strength to wait for God to do what only God can do. We are as impressed with that, honestly speaking, taking, taking a, a, a pure estimation of our own selves and our own weaknesses. We are, as, we are as impressed with that right there as we would be David's ability to take Goliath out. A strength that impacts. A strength that impacts. Humbled himself under the mighty hand of the Lord. Waited for the Lord to do what the Lord would do. Okay, that, that's all a precursor to Psalm 37. This all happened before. And I want to just briefly, I want to go through some of, these, some of these main verses, lines here, and I want you to mark them, underline them, do something so you'll hang on to it. Here's how David starts. This is a life with impact. Not just a season of impact, but a life of impact. Do not fret because of evildoers. Now, now the face out beside evildoers right there was Saul's face. Saul's face and his henchmen and the ones who did what they tried to do to David for all of those years. Do not fret. Do not let yourself become incensed. Do not let yourself become churned up. Do not let yourself be taken over because of worrying and fretting about evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. Why, David? Why? For they will wither quickly like the grass, and they will fade like the green herb. When it's time for them to go, they will be gone. They will be out. They will be snuffed. They will fade, their lush, verdant foliage will be gone like a, like a sprig of grass the next day after it's been mowed or cut. So he's saying, don't spend your emotional energy fretting evildoers. And he sets these in juxtaposition. They're a contrast. Do not fret, that's the negative, because of evildoers. Here's what we're supposed to do, number three. Trust in the Lord and do good. You can't do both is what he's saying. You can't both be fretting over evildoers and stewing over how bad people are getting worse and not getting caught. You can't both do that and at the same time trust in the Lord. To trust in the Lord means you're counting on the Lord and his timing and his way to deal with the evildoers. It's a waste of emotional energy. He's not saying stick your head like, a, like an ostrich in the sand and, and not, be, not be aware of things. You can be aware of things, but you monitor your heart. You monitor your soul. When your soul begins to get to churning because of the evildoers and what the evildoers are doing, check that, stop that, turn from that kind of fretting to you trust in the Lord. I, I'm not getting a lot of amens out of that. I, I, I don't expect it really. Because we see the evildoers, we just can't see the Lord, right? We can read the headlines of evildoers, we just have a hard time seeing and hearing and feeling the Lord. But David is saying, here's what I'm telling you. You want a life with impact? Don't spend your time fretting over evil. You can't do anything about that. When their time comes, they'll be gone before dark. You give yourself to relying on, leaning on, trusting on, counting on, bringing him into everything you've got going on in your life. You trust in the Lord. 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 The evildoers will be handled. 
And if you try to mix the two, the strength that you were hoping would be in your soul will evaporate. It's one or the other. Fret or trust in the Lord. That word for Lord is the word, it's a word that encompasses all the aspects of there are many different names for God in the Old Testament. Many different hyphenated names that speak of character. But the one term, the one name that encompasses every one of them is this Adonai Lord. You trust in the Lord who is the God of everything. He's the God of the past. He's the God of the present. He's the God of the future. He's the God of creation. He's the God of order. He's the God of the future. He's the God of justice. He's the God of mercy. He's the God of love. He's the God of power. He's the God who raises up and sets down. He's Lord. Trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him. Folks, listen. Am I in here by myself? When you, when you get around somebody that just has that, that air about them, they're not shaken. They're barely moved by anything. Because the trust is settled, it's solid, it's steady in the Lord. You want to find them when the earth starts moving beneath your feet, right? Trust in the Lord. The impact of a life, the power that's stirring within it that just trusts in the Lord. And then here's this part. Do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trusting is, is, is that. It's leaning on, believing. But here, that's this way. Trusting is this way. Doing good is this way. Doing good is this way. He says, you trust in the Lord, but with your hands, with your brain, with your life, Give yourself to the making, the fashioning, the creating, the doing of good. That, that has everything to do with the works of your hands. Well, the Lord will say that he desires to bless the works of our hands. That in Deuteronomy 28, that's the context of, of growing crops and, and, and feeding cattle and, 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 and taking care of barns. Bless the works of your hands. David will say, you trust in the Lord, but what you can do, you do it, and you do it well. Meaning, it's useful, it's, it's, it's helpful, it's practical, it's beautiful. Kick it to another level, also including the word, it's beautiful, it's excellent, it solves problems, it fixes things. Folks. Oh, my goodness. Folks say, I wish I was called to the full-time ministry. You are called to the full-time ministry. Here's the verse. You trust in the Lord, and you sit at your desk tomorrow. You find your way to your workshop on your assignment at work on Thursday. As you're trusting in the Lord to do what only the Lord can do, you do good with your hands. You do the best you can do with your brain. You do the most that you're capable of in working people together in team units and, and accomplishing objectives and being a blessing to your company. And what did Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This business of sitting around, I just got to sit here. I just need to sit and stare at the Bible. You sit around and stare at the Bible and you'll go broke and you need to go broke. Do good. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, 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 you wait, but you also put one foot in front of the other and get to work on time. And you'd be a blessing to the people who hire you. First one there, last one to leave. And they know about you that you're worthy of your hire. A workman is worthy of his hire. You're not a bellyacher. You're not a liar. You're not an infiltrator. You don't have some secret agenda. You do what you're told. You do it well. You do it your best you can. And you know what you are? You're pleasing to the God of heaven who wired you to be good at the things that you are good at with your hands and with your brain. Oh, my goodness. This thing, oh, I just wish I had a church job. No, you don't. No, you don't. I wish I'd, God just called me to the ministry. He has called you to the ministry. Right where you sit with the ones you work with, the boss you have, out of loyalty to God, David came under. And David worked. And David waited. I'm telling you, I got to quit. When the piano starts, it's time for me to start shutting her down, Leon, and I have a hard time doing that. I just, just dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. That means stay hooked, stay connected. Don't be floating around, flitting around everywhere. You, 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 may, you may have a, there may be job changes, there may be professional shifts, but, but don't, don't be known as a floater. Don't be known as somebody who doesn't have any roots. Don't be known as somebody who can't ever keep a job or hold something down. It's always the boss's problem. No, it's not always the boss's problem. I've just had sorry people to work for. Why did they pick you? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly. I know we got to lose all that stuff. Lord, I want you to be pleased with my life. I want to have the impact upon my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. We serve the purpose of God in our generation when we are blessing to the companies that pay us. When we are part of the solution and not the negative. And to be that, you just have to hang tough sometimes. You have to stay put, stay planted for a while. You said, nobody notices, nobody notices. Oh, yes, yes, you are noticed. Heaven notices you. Just like heaven was noticed in that, David, this is the psalm. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way, the Lord does. When he falls, he'll not be cast headlong because the Lord is the one who takes his head. David wrote that with the statement being over, the Lord even ordered the steps when I was hunted like a dog by Saul. The Lord, the Lord even ordered my steps when I was afraid and I was just trying to survive. Just as much as he ordered my step when I ascended the throne of both Israel and Judah. Steps of a good man, a good woman are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. You, you, you hunker down, you hold steady, you do your best, we trust in the Lord. We're not spending all our time beating our emotional energy up, fretting over evildoers and what they're getting away with or being jealous of what they got that we don't have. 
We don't do that. It's the waste of emotional energy. The proper focus of that emotional energy is to be trusting in the Lord and dwelling in the place, cultivating faithfulness. Then that, that one, not, then he says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You delight yourself. Here's what you do. Here is what you do. You make the Lord and the Lord's presence your delight. Not the last thing on your list, but the first thing on the list of your heart. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Well, just don't do it and see what happens. Things will just get along fine without that negative, sorry attitude. What if, what if the Lord really does? I don't know why I'm just kind of going nuts here a minute, but just stay with me. We're going somewhere. If you need to hear it, hear it. Well, what if, what if the Lord just sometimes will just let us just blow up in all this negative, accusing, blaming, what if this, why did that, until we just get worn out? And then we realize it hadn't gotten us one square inch ahead in the game. And then what if that still small voice might be whispering to our heart? And it grows to be a shout in our spirit. I chose you before the foundation of the world. You are the one in whom I have set my delight. Just trust me. Let me love you. I know how to thrill you. I wired you. I know how to thrill you. Somebody needs to hear the voice of God saying to your heart, I know how to thrill you. Not just to make you survive, not just to help you get by, but I know how to thrill you. Trust me, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will thrill you. He will thrill you. Now, look, look, David's an old man. I mean, I don't know how old he is, 63, something like that. That's fairly common age around here. But he makes that statement. Listen, this, 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 this will blow your head in the creek. He makes that statement after Bathsheba, after putting Uriah to death, after all that he did in that season of his life, he writes it still, these words. You delight yourself in the Lord. Even a sinner, even a murderer like he was, blood guiltiness on his hand. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will thrill you. He will bless you. He will give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes we try to move away from that as even being a possibility because we, there's a season of lapse. There's a period of great turning away. Here's, here's, here's what was the strength in David. you remember it? His loyalty to his God. 
even in the depth of his sin, the depth of his wrong. From the belly of the whale, if you will, there rose up within him that loyalty to God against thee, Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Done what is evil in you, created me a clean heart, O oh God. Restore a right spirit in me. The sacrifices, O oh God, are broken, a contrite heart. That heart you will not despise. Well, you can delight in a Lord like that. What you're strong in will be the corridor through which you will have the greatest impact upon people. And as the Lord, by His loving Spirit, owns our hearts, those parts of our hearts, then the potential for impact for good in people explodes exponentially. That which is strong in you, don't try to kill it. Ask God to convert it. Because that's how you're wired. That's who you are. It's like the size of your shoes, like the color of your eyes, like the length of your thumb. He wired you with strengths for his glory. David, loyal. You say loyal to a fault. David was loyal. He was loyal. Saul was a fighter. Paul, Saul was a fighter. You know, God needs fighters and he needs lovers. We're not all the same. And even that part of you that is strong, and sometimes get out of line, even that part of you that is strong, he created you, he fashioned you with that in mind. And he sees you fully formed and that's a part of it. You know, I, I refer occasionally to the pastor that married Shirley and me, along with my dad, 41 years ago, next Monday, a week from Monday, 41. Well, yeah. The man who, the preacher who married us, named John Bassanio, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. He's retired since then, but in his day, there was just nobody like him as far as impact upon my life. And I would occasionally be asked to, I was a, an associate or assistant youth pastor for a while when I met Shirley to which she said, what does an assistant youth pastor need a briefcase for? <laughs> Carry a banana or a sandwich in it? I mean, what do you need it for? But occasionally, Brother John would ask me to go do some sermon research for him as a college student. 
I remember finding one day in his notes a manuscript of a sermon. It was called Ride the Wild Horses. Ride the Wild Horses. And the thesis was that inside the heart of every believer, some may be more pronounced than others, but there, there are wild horses inside your nature. How you were made. That God put there. The devil didn't put it there. You didn't put it there. God put them there. And the point is, the Lord doesn't have any intention of shooting the horses. He wants to break them and train them and use them for his glory. And Brother John did not have a seminary degree. He had a college degree in music. He was, uh, had his own band in those days. This is the late 50s, I guess, and early 60s, big band kind of thing. The guy could play a trumpet. He could play a keyboard. He could play an accordion. And he could sing. I remember, and Shirley would verify this, I remember times. And Brother John would reference that ride the wild horses. He'd speak to young preachers, young men, young as a staff. He'd say, God has wired you the way he wants you to be. Some of it may not be completely formed yet, but you've got wild horses in you, David. God doesn't want to kill them. God wants to train them, break them and train them. And so that, that was working, and, but, but the way that would manifest, show itself when he'd be preaching, sometimes it might be he'd, he'd preach verse by verse, verse by verse through Matthew. And I mean, we might be over there somewhere in the, in the middle of the, the, the legalistic section of Jesus there with the Pharisees and some complex possible interpretations, and he'd just kind of leave his Bible and walk over toward Joan Brunson, who played the piano, and, say, and, and pick up his trumpet. His trumpet, his silver trumpet. And he walked back out and he'd say something like this. I can't, I, 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 it's, I can't get it out, but listen to this. And he would blow, he would play a hymn. He would play something that, that the congregation would know. And the music said it. Now that was not in the bulletin. If he had gone to seminary, they'd have probably said, don't even think about that, John Bassanio. Don't even think like that. Other times he would say, move over, Joan. And he'd go sit down at the piano and just get to going. And he'd just play a while. This is live TV, Houston, Texas, downtown. It's a bank building now. And Brother John just banging on the piano. And then somebody hit right back like this. He'd tap his foot. And he'd just start singing. Every time he'd carry on like that, I said, mm-hmm, wild horse. <laughs> wild horse. But so blessed by it. That's 40 years ago, and I'm telling you like it happened last Sunday. He's wired you like he wants you to be. He's fashioned you in his image. Give it to him. Yield it to him. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will thrill you. He will thrill you. He will thrill you. Do you hear that? Now, the last person in this building 
who would be saying, I don't deserve that. That's not talking to me. You are exactly the one that that was meant for. Amen. Amen and amen. You know, I don't know if y'all got anything out of this message, but I just love getting to preach this morning. I just love it. I love this truth. Some folks say you serve the Lord and it'll just wear you out. Serve your Lord, serve the Lord. You do what the Lord's called you to do and it's boring. Where'd you get that? Or the Lord would call you to do something that you don't really enjoy doing. Where did you get that? Jesus said, you follow me and I'll turn you into what? Fishers of men. You're going to still be fishing, Peter, James, and John. You're just going to be fishing for eternal fish, catching fish that matter to God. Wild horse, wild horse, wild horse, not meant to be killed, but broken, not the spirit broken, but broken, trained, and ridden. Lord, I just I pray you, you'll just take this where you want it to go. Lord, in the name of Jesus, take this this morning where you want it to go. We receive your word, Lord. We receive your word from your word. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen.